Hi, this is Eugene Rapay, and I just wanted to start off with a disclaimer and an apology. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. Unfortunately, the recording device we used, we're not sure exactly what happened, whether it glitched or, or whatnot, but it kind of butchered the audio for Tuesday's episode. And Chris and I worked out a way to try to salvage the audio so it doesn't blow out your headphones or the speakers. We played around in post-production and kind of the best compromise we had in minimizing that damage or minimizing that static was to just make it sound like we're on AM radio. Please bear with us for this episode. You'll see exactly what we mean in just a moment. But based on this current recording, which was done after the fact, it appears that we've been able to work out the kinks for future episodes. So hopefully we can go back to great quality on Thursday. But for now, it's going to sound like we're on AM radio. Fortunately, there wasn't enough time to re-record before work. But I think this is kind of the best we could do to kind of save your ears. Thanks again for listening, and go Cats. Welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stantiel. Chris, how was your long weekend? It's been a little while, almost a week, since we last spoke and was on the air talking Nova Hoops. The season finally here, which is great, but I want to know, how was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was great, Eugene. Got a few days off. Enjoyed myself. Ate a lot, like every other American out there. Uh, How was yours, Eugene? Thanksgiving was great. The one nice thing... And I've had this problem the last couple of Thanksgivings is with the reduced crowds this year, you know, you're not supposed to have huge family gatherings or whatnot. This allowed me to have a clear lane, a clear path to the TV remote to put on Villanova basketball before in the past, you know, let's say they're playing like 12 noon tip off or 4 PM tip off, whatever time it is. People are on, they're like, why is basketball on on Thanksgiving? It's supposed to be football. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is, this is way more important than the Cowboys or the Lions. I'd rather watch this than that any day of the week. And so with the clear path to the remote, uh, supportive parents who are also Wildcat fans, we, it was college basketball all day. Food on the side, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. It really was. I, we actually kind of did a dual monitor situation where we had our regular TV set up for football and then – my brother brought home his PS4, so we were able to hook up the ESPN app to a TV, brought it downstairs, and we had college basketball rolling on that TV all day. So we got this, you know, got the best of both worlds. It was, it was a good time. That's good nice. Time. That's nice. Yeah, nice compromise. You guys can't prepare it. It's kind of like the March Madness setup when you bring in all the TVs and you could have, like, eight games at once. Assuming we get there, Eugene, I, that is the exact setup we're going to go with. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully we're able to do it again. Yeah, we'll be taking it one day at a time, one week at a time, one weekend at a time. But ultimately, it was awesome because college basketball was back. Wednesday night was a season tip-off for pretty much everybody. I know that there are some schools and some teams out there that are still lingering, trying to get their season opener in. Like, for example, Iona in my backyard, they finally played Seton Hall last night, and that was their season opener. Long night at the Rock. Fortunately, we got to start on time with a 2K Empire Classic tipping off with the Boston College game. I'll be honest, Chris, this game was probably a little tighter than we first thought. Maybe we underestimated them. A little bit. Yeah, I, I think a, a we undersold them. I, I think we undersold them a little bit. And once that game started developing, I'm like, this is all our fault. <laughs> we jinxed a, it. This is a classic SNN jinx job, you know, expecting a full walkover. And then next thing you know, they're down nearly double digits with like half of the second half to go. And you're starting to realize, "Uh oh, this might happen. Yeah, Boston College's athleticism quickness definitely made it a little rocky at times. Regardless, Nova was able to dig deep, pull out a 76-67 to victory to advance to the two campfire classic finals. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had an 18-point, 10-rebound double-double. Colin Gillespie didn't shoot all that well, but he finished with 15 points and 7 assists. Caleb Daniels with, and Justin Moore with 14 points apiece. Then for BC, Jay Heath leading the way as expected with 16 points. Makai Ashton Langford, that Providence transfer, looked pretty good in his Eagle debut. He had 15 points, six boards, and three assists. Then you had Winston Tabs adding 11 points. Ultimately, I think that the nice thing here was Nova was able to dig deep and bear down and pull out a nice win towards the end there because it was looking a little bleak at some series. 
But yeah. ultimately, they started getting those stops, got those buckets to pull ahead, and then at the end there, just took care of business. Yeah, we'll get into the overarching themes of uh, these two games later, but it, it, I'm glad they were able to find a way to pull this out. And at some point during that day, it was looking like <laughs> it was looking like Arizona State might just lose the URI. And if Fats Russell doesn't foul out, we could have potentially had the loser bracket final been Arizona Nova as we uh, had. Well, and it ended up being the winner's game, obviously. But that oh, was you're saying if we crazy. both got upset. Yeah, yeah, oh, it, yeah. It was looking that way. If Fats Russell didn't foul out for URI, it probably goes that way. Yeah, that was another exciting game, too. That was a that was a good one. It was so, but no Baylor. We got Arizona State as expected, but as you mentioned, Chris was a little close. They had that tight game against URI against the Sun Devils. Nova played much better collectively, and they pulled away in the second half to win eighty three to seventy four. Jeremiah Robinson Earl big boy game with twenty eight points, eight boards, and Justin Moore. Who would have thought he could crash the glass as well? Providing 16 points and 12 rebounds. Caleb Daniels with another solid outing with 14 points, five boards, four assists. Congolese chipping in 11 points, four boards, and four assists. Then for Arizona State, the big thing here was Nova locking down leading man Remy Martin to just five points. However, they did get torched by the five-star Frost Josh Christopher, who led the way with 28. And then Alonzo Verge Jr. also had a nice solid 22.7 rebound outing. Marcus Bagley hit a couple threes and route to a 10-point game. But at the end of the day, Nova won the 2K Classic. Jeremiah Robinson Earl unsurprisingly named tournament MVP. Justin Moore also made the all-tournament team. What were your overall thoughts on the tournament itself? It was nice to start off with a win. An upset loss to BC would have been disappointing, but it was good to get that one under the belt and then follow up with another win in a well-played final against Arizona State. For sure. In that Boston College game, at least initially, it, it looked like it was going to just be like a little bit of a back-and-forth kind of feel each other out in the beginning, and then Nova was going to run away with it, and it just didn't happen. As you mentioned, Axon Langford like, just went off. <laughs> I know it was, I only say 15 points, but it felt like a lot more. Dude was doing everything. He was getting inside, slashing to the basket, scoring inside, making like ridiculous underneath basket shots. And I'm just like, all right, if this is going to happen, then just let it happen. I think Heath even left with an injury at some point. And I think it actually, he was out the next game against URI because of it. So like once he was out, I was like, all right, this should, we should have this in the bag. And they didn't. They didn't have it in the bag. They were in a hard-fought game until the very end. Tabs obviously kept them, uh, kept Boston College in it. You had that Kelly guy keeping him in that, keeping him in it as well. He was, but I would say there was a big moment in that game. I don't know the exact time frame or time stamp, I should say, but it was towards the late of the second half. BC had a couple of free throws and they missed them, flat out missed every single one of them, and Nova was able to take advantage. And that's what differentiates the really good teams from the really bad teams. It's those opportunities where you have the chance to take over a game, and they did. Uh, Cole Swider hit some a couple of big threes in there as well to kind of prevent Nova falling behind early. So I was pretty happy with the performance overall. I mean, I wasn't thrilled with it, obviously, but it was like, all right, it's the first game of the season. It is what it is. But I will say <laughs> it became very apparent early in that game that JRE was going to be the guy to go to. Oh, he very, left very apparent. Very he, apparent. He left early with foul trouble, and I was asking my brother who was watching the game with him, like, did the dude get hurt? Like, what the hell happened? And then he's like, no, it was foul trouble. He comes back in, and then the offense just took off. And it, that was pretty great to see. Yeah, it was very nice to see him get some huge buzz early. I know a lot of people have been putting him in All-American conversations, potential National Player of the Year conversation. I don't know about that. But the jump, we, Chris, we've talked about this before. That freshman to sophomore leap is such a huge one for college athletes. You get a year in the system. You get a year to finally train, condition, build yourself up like a legit Division One college athlete. And for JRE to just go out there, he was a man amongst boys, I think, in that tournament. And it was just so awesome to see him go off. It was nice to see a Nova big man dominate. I know we're guarding you this and that, but you can't lie. Come on. How much fun was that to just see him feast on everyone like a Thanksgiving turkey? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. He even had like a little bit of a coast-to-coast moment, I believe, where he got to the basket. I don't remember if that was against BC or Arizona State, but either way, that was a pretty sick play. You know, I, he was making all the moves inside, great inside game as well. He was hitting mid-range shots like pretty much everywhere on the court. 
and you know that's that's good when the mid range is falling that's good but like once those aren't falling you're gonna have to work inside and he has the moves for that um i will say in the virginia tech game we'll get to that but that kind of you know that kind of <laughs> fell apart but that's okay but yeah he, he was pretty much the big reason why they were able to come out and, and win both those games. I mean, Caleb Daniels looked pretty good in his debut. He hit his opening three against BC, had a pretty good game overall against both teams. I, I really had no problem with his game whatsoever. I Like, I can't – I'm not mad at all. And, like, the, the thing is, though, Collins did not play well at all. And that was kind of upsetting because, you know, like, you want this guy who's getting preseason Amer- All-American hype to kind of go out there and take control – He's your point guard, leader of the team and all of that. And, yeah, he put up points, but he, he really wasn't playing all particularly well. He got blown off the ball several times on defense in both games. He was very lackadaisical in that department. And if it wasn't for the Virginia Tech game, I was probably going to come on here and, like, rip Colin apart and, like, maybe a little bit too harsh for the first two games of the year. But, like, between that and, you know, it was like you needed a secondary score. And Daniels was fine, but – you really need a column to step up, especially if Jermaine's going to hide in the shadows for the rest of the games. Well, the thing that was nice about Colin was I felt, especially in the BC game, yeah, he wasn't shooting all that efficient, but he did have seven assists to only one turnover, which was nice. The mid-range J, I thought it was a nice little wrinkle for JRE. I mean, he was sinking. It felt like he was unstoppable, especially during the 2K yeah. Classic. And if he's going to add that, oh, my God, I would not want to be a coach to prep on how to defend this guy. We've seen him have, you know, flashes and glimpses of being able to stretch the floor a little bit. But if this is part of that freshman to sophomore leap, this is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. As for CG, I don't want to – I will say, you know, his defense wasn't that great. Justin Moore's defense wasn't that great. But overall, as a team, it looked like Nova had trouble staying in front of athletic guards. And we've seen glimpses of that in the past. But it just felt more apparent this year or at least you know through these first three games mm-hmm. and it's it's a little frustrating but I thought in the second half of the Arizona State game they really regrouped and did a lot better you know as a, you know playing team defense um, staying in front of their man a little bit more and I thought that's what helped them pull away when they're able to get those stops in the second half but all in all I, I wasn't too upset with the 2k classic you know there, there's things like rust and there's things that they need to work out some kinks so until then you know i'm going to kind of be a little more patient in that front just because they didn't have preseason they didn't have a full off season no preseason scrimmages or exhibitions so i think it's you know not just them but everybody is going to have some right. things to work out right and that's why like i feel it's okay to kind of dismiss some of these early season struggles like for every reason you just laid out and, you know, they played better against, the, uh, I guess, the better team in Arizona State. So it, it was like, all right, you're improving. You're going on a general trajectory tra- there. And the problem is, is though, is <laughs> how they finished up against Virginia Tech. And that's, that's where I think we're like, you know, if that game doesn't happen, I think we're on here and I think we're pretty thrilled with everything, all things considered. It's like, oh, BC game, eh, whatever. You know, they started off slow. Temple destroyed. <laughs> yeah, Temple would have been destroyed. St. Joe's coming up. They would have been destroyed. You know, like, it all, it all would have been okay. It's just that when you have that Virginia Tech game in the back of your mind, and I know we're trying to avoid talking about it. but I'd, We're going to get to it a little bit, Chris. We'll get, we'll get we're going to we're gonna get to it a little I, bit. I know. I, as you can see, I'm chomping at the bit here. But it's like, I don't know, the, the first two games were fine. I was happy with how they played. And they played really well against a good Arizona State team. Honestly, as a takeaway, the general takeaway is this team's good at the end of the day, and JRE is a big boy. And hopefully Justin Moore keeps up the secondary scoring if Collins not going. And if Collins going, uh, then maybe, you know, that, it adds to that, obviously. And then if Caleb Daniels keeps up his fantastic start, then, hey, no harm, no foul. I guess we'll just move on to the next game here. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. It's like, you know, oh, the first two games were great, this and that. But then this one left a little sour taste in people's mouth. Wasn't a great way to end the long weekend. Saturday night, Villanova puts together a very last-minute game against Virginia Tech, and it was in part due to Temple being shut down. They were able to move their St. Joe's game, which we'll get to later, also would eventually be canceled for a COVID-related shutdown. Villanova's taking on Virginia Tech, staying up there in Bubbleville. 
pulled together this last-second arrangement Friday morning at, like, 2 a.m. And then against the Hokies, the Wildcats fell in overtime, 81-73. to Colin Gillespie for, you know, the, the ups and downs he had in the 2K Classic, he was a big boy. I thought he single-handedly kept Villanova in the game, especially in that first half. Hot, such a hot start. 18 of his 25 points coming in those first 20 minutes to help us keep it tied going into halftime. After the break, we saw a bit more Caleb Daniels, who finished with 17 points. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl had 14 points and nine rebounds. And then as for the Hokies, Keve Luma led the way with 28 points, eight rebounds, nine of 14 shooting. Naheem Elaine added 20 points off the bench, was just lights out. Justin Mutz added 12 points. Chris, what were your thoughts on the game? There's a lot to unpack here. And uh, would you want to go with the positive route or the negative <laughs> route? Uh, I mean, we're we're doing both today. Uh, we we got time for that. Uh, good cop, we, bad no, cop, Chris. Which, yes. which, yeah, which one is we'll, it? Well, we'll start with good cop. We'll start with good cop. And the first point I want to make is what I alluded to earlier, and that's Colin Gillespie had a great game. Or at least a really great first half a necessary first half because no one else was going no one else was getting going we, no. we like without his 18 points we're probably trailing by double digits at half oh easily easily and this is not even a game in the first place i didn't even know like what to expect from virginia tech the whole team found out at 2:30 in the morning like the day before like i i can't even begin to imagine like the scrambling that had to go on for the scouting department there but their defense locked everybody down JRE was a non-factor, and I'm sure Virginia Tech saw the first two games and like, oh, yeah, let's stop that guy. I don't know if they had actual tape yet to kind of go over it, but it was part of the game plan. They're like, oh, stop him, and it'll be fine. But Colin had to pick up the slack, and after his relatively mediocre first two games, he picked up exactly where he left off last year, shooting the lights out, hitting some big threes, passing the ball real well for, you know, at least the best he could. And then also Caleb Daniels looked good overall. It's kind of cool to see that Jay's trusting him. Now we'll get into the bench and the negative issues, but so there's not really many options outside of him to come off the bench, but he looked pretty good too. Like he's had, he had a solid three games and I will say probably the best part of that whole game was uh, Justin Moore drawing that foul at the end. <laughs> and I have never seen that before ever where the team inbounding the ball actually got a foul call on on the opposing team with like less than with about a second to go. And I texted you. I was like, this is payback for those two games against Georgetown in the late aughts where they called some bullcrap foul 100 feet away from the basket with in a tie game. And Georgetown shot two free throws to win the game both times. So I, that was that was good to see. And it was good to see Justin Moore go up to the free throw line, step up to the plate and hit those two clutch free throws. Yeah, I was going to say, um, for all that unfolded in the last eight minutes of regulation, it did not look good for Nova. And then they had that N1, or Virginia Tech had that N1, to take a little bit of a lead there with less than two seconds to go. By some grace of, I don't know if that's smart coaching, I don't know if that's just whatever that was. I had, Like you said, Chris, I hadn't seen any play like that. Very crafty, very cheeky, you know, Justin Moore sneaking in there. That defender had no idea it was there, looked like, and then just ran right into him, drew the charge. Now, the necessary thing was that he needed to make those free throws, which Nova wasn't doing much of down the stretch. So it was nice to see him a chance there, you know, the Wildcats to generate a chance there in overtime with the game all tied up. Unfortunately, that's where it all fell apart. <laughs> Virginia Tech hits a three. Never looked back, never trailed in overtime, and the Wildcats <laughs> lost. Now, Chris, now we can yeah. go – we shift over the bad cop side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now that, you know <laughs> – Colin Gillespie had a great first half. Kill Daniels did. continues to look great. Yes. The, clearly, there's some early signs of trust there, as we saw in the 2K Classic when he had some early foul trouble, Jay giving him the starting nod, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Now, the negatives – yeah. It looked like – now, when Jay had said – right, you know, he held a very impromptu press conference, and he said that Virginia Tech reminded him a lot of Boston College, and so he was a little worried about that. And we saw, at least early on, that the defense was struggling with the one-on-one -on -one dribble drives again, and then that led to open threes later down the line – 
which was very, very frustrating. And, of course, you know, it's one thing where, like, 50% from three-point, that's not characteristic for the Hokies. But, of course, they, you know, it felt like they could have missed down the stretch there. But some of it was self-inflicted. You know, guys were lost on assignments. You know, hand down, man down, late closeouts. And they were just cashing them in. And then, of course, you're up by 12, eight minutes ago. And what was it? Three straight missed front ends of the one-on-ones? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, oh. that was that was probably going to be my first negative. The fact that you missed the three one-on-ones at the end of the game were pretty bad. And two of them being your seniors and, and Gillespie and, and Jermaine. You know, that that's like Scotty Reynolds era type crap where the team would just miss front ends of one-on-ones and keep teams in it. And it, it sunk them. It sunk him. I mean, Colin, all right, you know what? He misses the one-on-one, fine. Like, he played a great game up to that point. Like, you can forgive him for that. Jermaine missing the late one, like, the dude hasn't done anything in the past three games. You got to hit that. I know he's not the best free throw shooter, but you got to hit it. You got to give me one, at least. And then Justin Moore, I know there was some controversy with that because technically it should have been a a two-shot foul, not a one-on-one. And, you know, that's fine. But, like, if you hit both, there's never a controversy to begin with. So... Obviously, if you hit one of two, like Virginia Tech goes down, has to shoot a three at that point. Do they make it the way it was going? Probably. But, and then we end up in overtime anyway. But you never know. If, if you make both, the game's over. And I know I just praised them for hitting the two free throws after the foul on the inbounds. But if you hit both at the end there, the game's over. So that was pretty disappointing to see those missed free throws, which really hasn't been a problem for the past few years. Also, yeah, like you said, with Virginia Tech hitting all those crazy threes, like this kind of felt like a – like, no way this offense could sustain itself type thing. And looking at their percentages from last year, it's kind of right. Like, Mutz had a big game. He had, he shot two of two from beyond the arc. He was 11% from three-point land last year. Aluma hit one three. He didn't hit a single three all of last year. And BD was two of four, and he shot 22% last year. So, like, that's just so typical. But, like you said, it's self-inflicted. And they didn't – and we were even talking about this before. Like, we they didn't deserve to win this game. Like, as much as, like, as good as it was to get this to overtime and as great as that call at the end was to favor us, like, they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve any of that. The way they played at the end of that half, at the end of the second half, they had no – they did not deserve to win that whatsoever. The offense looked very stale and lazy at the end. Not a lot of ball movement. The commentators, like, kept harping on it that there weren't a lot of assists outside of Colin. So it just seems very stale and one-dimensional, and, you know, that's what happens. You're, you're going to let the other team chip away. And if your defense – I will say the defense, though, switching-wise, they were kind of been okay, at least better than I would expect to start the year. But, my God, how many times are they going to get blown off the ball? Like, it's just so sad because I really thought that wasn't, like, that big of an issue. But I, I don't know. What what are you, your takeaways with that? Well, the switching – was rough, especially so. Cole Swider hits a three, gives Nova a 12 point lead. Right after that, Nova gives up back to back threes to Virginia Tech on blown assignments, missed switches, mm-hmm. and right then and there, it's a six point game where all of a sudden you're comfortable lead, you're trying to hang on to it. And then towards the end, there, yeah, it was the whole it looked like that they were kind of sagging off a bit, maybe anticipating the dribble drive. So that gave Virginia Tech some space to pull up and knock down a three. You had some light closeouts. I know at one point Colin had his hand down, closing down on a, on a shooter in the corner. And the guy pulls up, knocks it down. And all of a sudden, it's just a, a couple points lead. It's tough because, like you said, Chris, with the way that they played in the last eight minutes, I don't know if it's they ran out of gas. This and that, we can get into that in a little bit. When you have a 12-point lead, you're, you're blowing front ends of the one-on-one. You're getting out-rebounded by a smaller team. You're losing on the hustle department. It just didn't look like – like, if they stole one in overtime, then it's like that's one thing. But then, you know, you, you force overtime, and then they continue to get steamrolled. That was tough. That was tough to digest. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, Virginia Tech hit that opening three, and it just, like, was like, all right, time to roll over and die. Like, the next two possessions, I think they airballed and then turn over, turned over. Like, you, you got to come up with better set possessions than that next time down the court. Like, come on. And credit to Virginia Tech. They had a game plan. They stuck to it defensively, and they they owned Villanova. On the yeah, defensive that, yeah, that defense owned. was tough. You got you to give it to them. Got to give it to owned. them. 
owned them. And Virginia Tech, like, they're not, like, Boston College bad. Like, I know Jay said they remind them of Boston College, but they're not – they're much better than Boston College, and they have a lot of upset potential, too. Like, last year, I'm pretty sure they upset Virginia, or they had one big upset last year. I don't remember the team. I could I could swear it's Virginia, but don't quote me on it. But they, they always seem to be knock off a big, couple of big teams every so often. Uh, past couple years – a few years ago – in 17 and 18, they were Villanova's respective 8-9 matchup and the potential tournament. So, like, they've been a good program. This isn't, like, some pushover team that you should just come out and expect to hit a bunch of threes against and, you know, walk all over. Like, you had to, you know, show up offensively. They didn't. Defensively, they sort of did until the last eight minutes and just completely broke down. So, I mean, it, it's so disappointing to see because – they did have the big lead. Like, that's the problem I have. Like, you had a big lead and you just let it, like, go to crap like that. Like, you, had, you had to hold on. Like, that's a, it's a little concerning. And then when you have no bench whatsoever, like, then you start wondering, oh, is it fatigue? Like, three games in four days. Oh, the starters are playing a lot. There's no bench. Brandon Slater has, like, four minutes. Eric Dixon saw the court and, like, got yanked right back off for no apparent reason. Cole Swider, yeah, he had a couple of big threes, but he's completely useless on the defensive side. So, like, what's the point? Like, these guys are going to get run into the ground. Are we facing that 16-17 issue where it's like, okay, like, the starters are great, but what else? So that leads to the question that everybody wants to know. Oh, yes. Should Nova have scheduled this game? It was a hot topic after the game. Three games in four days is not unheard of, but, Chris, would you have scheduled this game? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, thank God. It. Thank yeah. God. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. There's, there's thank no, you. Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Well, give me one good reason why you wouldn't, because you want to rest? No, 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 no. You had the day off. I understand that, like, the whole, like, scrambling. I just kind of said, like, the scrambling and the scouting department, like, you got to get ready for the next opponent. You got to mentally prepare yourself and all. But Virginia Tech's going through the same thing. It's not, it's not like it's only affecting you. Uh, they also played recently. They're probably tired as well. Like it's it all it's all the same. You gotta go out there and win the game. And when you have a twelve point lead, like you gotta hold on. Like you, this game was absolutely necessary. Between Temple shutting down, now St. Joe's shutting down. Imagine if they didn't play this game and St. Joe shut down. Like we would be like, oh crap, now what? Like <laughs> we'd be scrambling for games, and you're gonna be playing a bunch in a row later. I, you gotta. You got to get some game action in. You got to learn how to. You got to get your legs back under you, one way or another. Everyone's saying, "Oh, this team doesn't have a lot of time with each other. They haven't had a lot of time with each other." Well, this is a perfect opportunity to have a lot of time with each other. Yeah, not just that. There was definitely a lot of learning moments between, you know, late game management, what to do in those situations. A lot of things to digest here. As you know, of course, we're digesting. I'm sure over there. Well, I was going to say at Villanova, they're still in Bubbleville. I'm sure over there in Bubbleville, Jay Wright and his boys are getting together, analyzing five times more than what we're doing. This game was 100% necessary. I think anybody who says, oh, three games in four days, that's tough. We've done it before in past Feast Week tournaments. And not only that, you know, I feel like three games in four days is, even though I get it, look, they haven't scrimmaged. They haven't – they're not really fully up to speed yet. They don't have their game legs under them yet. I get that, but in this COVID era, we're seeing the game of musical chairs. Every coach, every team is trying to scramble to that 13th game in order to be eligible for the postseason. Now, it hasn't happened to us yet, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but let's say you get shut down. That's already two weeks off the window. Maybe the shutdown is more serious than two weeks. Maybe your opponents cancel on you. You can't risk, you know, anytime you can play a game, you got to take it. You got to hit, the, once you hit that number 13, you can yeah. take a huge sigh of relief and be like, all right, anything else, you know, we're postseason eligible. That's good. Right. I 100% agree with you. And, I, and was the pushback that bad? Because your reaction to me saying, yes, that the game was necessary was pretty enthusiastic. Oh, you should have you seen what was said on Twitter. Or you should have seen, like, oh, they should have never taken this game, uh, blah, 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 put them up, uh, set them up in a position where it was like a lose-lose. I thought it was more of a win-win, you know? You, you beat yeah. a Power 5 conference team. You get another solid game in. I mean, granted, tonight it's a little bit of a cupcake, but I'm not going to – I'm not going to – no more underestimating opponents. But uh, <laughs> we would learn more 
from Virginia Tech than we probably would have against Temple or against St. Joe's. Teams that we're very familiar with, teams that we entering those two matchups are probably the heavy favorites. This is a team that not familiar with, got put together late, Power 5 team. There was just so much more to gain from this versus a win against Temple or an expected win against St. Joe's. Yeah, for sure. And before we switch to Hartford, (laughs) I was going to put a little silver lining into this whole ordeal and this collapse at the end of the game. And it was basically what you said. You know, you learned a lot. You, you at least can adjust now and figure out, like, oh, this is what we have to do in late-game situations. Oh, maybe next time JRE's, like, getting shut down. Maybe we should get Jermaine more involved. Maybe Colin should do this. Maybe Caleb should get the ball more. And mainly that, Caleb should get the ball more. So, at least, like, you, you kind of figure it out on the fly. And you, you're not going to pick that up in practice. And you're certainly not going to pick that up against St. Joe's and Temple when you're blowing them out by 20-plus. So, yeah, I, I, it's, there was nothing to lose. Other, other than the game, I guess. But, but, like, let's be – it's November. Like, it's a November loss. And as aggravated as I was about it, or I am about it, it's I November. mean, it was – yeah, it was frustrating. You're up by 12. You took away the lead. Late game execution could have been better, but lots to gain from that. Right. It's – this is like your – these are your learning moments. If you're still pulling this crap in March, then, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it then. But <laughs> – but it's not March. It's November. Let's calm down. We've seen this team lose early plenty of times, and they end up perfectly okay. I'm, I'm really – I'm not concerned big picture, but, like, it was just a frustrating loss as a fan to just sit there and watch that. Do, do you feel better voicing your opinions now into a microphone? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I will say I did not expect the rotation to be as short as it was. And I understand yeah. that you're missing Brian Antoine and Demir Cosby Roundtree – who you can only hope get well soon. I know DCR's injury is going to be a, a little bit longer than, than Antoine's, it sounds like, at least a month. And then with Antoine, it was more of a precautionary deal with protecting him and his shoulder, which is, you know, at this point, I don't disagree with. Third game in four days, I would have liked to see a little bit more bench minutes. But at the end of the day, it's all Temple's fault. Yeah, blame Temple, blame St. Joe's. So much for trying to want the Big East to happen, a uh, Big East, uh, Big Five to happen this year. The one, the one the year one Chris time. supports you guys yeah, and wants to see it happen, love down. <laughs> so just when you thought Villanova was finally done in Bubbleville, as we mentioned before, St. Joe's shuts down following a positive test. They probably hope to dodge a bullet from Kansas and Gonzaga. But that leaves us without another game before Texas this upcoming weekend. So I got an email saying that Nova's going to set up another game in Bubbleville against Hartford. Hope they pack their bags enough for an extended stay. Thoughts on the game, Tuesday night tip-off, more ESPN spotlight. It'll be on ESPN2, so not ESPNU. So a little more, I guess this game's a little more important, a little more important. <laughs> I guess so, as long as it's not the same, same commenting crew from the Virginia Tech game. They, they were a little uh, – I, I hate doing this, but they were a little, little favoritism toward uh, Virginia Tech toward the end of the game there. I think they were rooting for an upset, but, they, you know, that's, that's fine. It's okay. Was that – I forgot which game it was, but there was one – and I kind of tuned it out of my mind, but one commentator said something absolutely asinine about Jalen Brunson not being a leader or something like that. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? that? Yeah, yeah, I just remember hearing that, and I was like, all right, it's time to get more wine. Or, all right, it's time to get more turkey. Or, <laughs> yeah. sorry, not turkey. I don't need turkey. Uh, it's time to get more food. <laughs> yeah, something stupid like that. And then my brother showed me something – Someone else said something stupid during a Michigan game that like Villanova's not like a blue blood or some bull crap. I, I don't even know. Everyone just wants to speak whatever they want to speak about this team, and that's fine. You know, let them be. At all, we'll we'll hear from you in March, I guess. Yeah, I know, I know. Hope yeah, hopefully we get a better commentating crew this time around. But the Hartford Hawks, not the St. Joe's Hawks, Hartford no. Hawks. I'm I'm glad this is happening because they definitely needed a game in between now and or sorry, in between the Virginia Tech and the Texas game. A little, little more of a cupcake, so it's probably better to, you know, have a nice bounce-back win. Like, if there's one thing that Nova's good at, it's bouncing back from a loss. So, unfortunately, two of the Hawks, they're probably in for a long night. You would hope so. <laughs> but we are not going to undersell them one bit. Not one bit. They did play UConn the other day. They lost 69-57. to 57. James Booknight went off in that game, and I am now very concerned about him when conference play comes around. 
But we'll, we'll cross nice that bridge. Game. He did have a nice game. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But Hartford finished 18 and 15 overall, 9 and 7 in the conference. Kind of a mediocre year for them. They were going to play, though, in the American East title game. They upset Stony Brook in the semifinals, and they were going to play perennial favorites for Mott. But that game was scheduled right on the day everything shut down. So they never got the opportunity to play that one out. And I always kind of highlight one or two games that the opposing team plays the year before, just to like kind of get a little bit of a barometer as to like how they face up against a bigger team. And, you know, what? maybe I use that to a, to a fault. But Hartford played nobody last year. No one. It was like their conference schedule and then a bunch of like mid-majors. I mean, outside of two teams. They played SMU and they got crushed. And then they also played Northwestern and they did win that. So they got a Big Ten win on the schedule. So that's that's pretty good. Uh, Eugene, want to go into their uh, players a little bit? Yeah, sure thing. They did graduate Malik Ellison, who you may have remembered, was a former St. John's Red Storm player. Played his first two years there, ended up getting finding his way to Hartford. He's now graduated. So coming back is Hunter Marks, a six foot nine junior forward, Moses Flowers, sophomore guard, and Tracy Carter, who somehow still has eligibility. They're their top returning players from last year. Marks, he averaged just over ten points and six point one boards last year. He's their top returner just based on the stats. Then you have Flowers, who averaged just over ten points per game as a freshman, but he's coming off of a nice twenty four point seven rebound showing against UConn. And then Tracy Carter. This guy is probably thinking <laughs> How do I get away from Villanova? This guy was at one point very briefly recruited by Nova, got an ACL injury just before his high school senior year, ends up going to Marquette, had a pretty nice game against Nova in the pavilion as a Golden Eagle, made a three, said some expletives at the Nova bench, bang, bang, fill in the blank, uh, gets teed up. I don't think he got ejected, but he got teed up. And then his career just hasn't been the same since. Transferred out of Marquette, went to LaSalle, then plays it over there, now transfers to Hartford, and now he's probably thinking five seasons later, this guy just can't escape Villanova. But he'll look to bounce back from a 1-for-12 showing against UConn. So Tracy Carter, he already knows the deal. He's probably just thinking, can we just get the game over with already? <laughs> I I cannot believe he is still playing. I, I don't understand how. He was literally there when Our we were team. seniors in college, that 15-16 season. Yeah. That's and six year, like five years later. Like, how is this? I don't know. I don't know. NCAA that, needs to look into that. It, it's been a while since he uh, first stepped on a college campus and is still eligible to play. I know we joke about a lot of people on here about staying in college too long like Alpha but this Diallo. guy is legit like this i guy. could not believe he's still like playing division one ball i you know you see Six tracy seasons. you see tracy carter and it's like no nah, there's no way that's still him and then you click on his name and then it's like pulls up the, the career <laughs> stats and it's like oh my god he is still it's, going it's actually him it's unbelievable he spent the first year at marquette he was like okay and then the second year he like barely played so then he left took the year off went to LaSalle, and then transferred again now he's at harvard this is wild. It is absolutely wild. Like, I know we like to think we didn't graduate from college like that long ago, but it's, it's got, it's got, we're, the years are starting to rack up a little no, bit. No, yeah. And it's then, to the point where, like, we go to that campus, we don't know a single person there. No. Like, no. that, we, we've, we're like one full cycle removed. Oh, yep. And once that happens, uh, you're, you're kind of, it's time to kind of close the yearbook a little bit. And uh, the fact that Tracy Carter was there when we were there is just uh, an amazing feat, I, I must say. Insane. Insane. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully no expletives this time. Um, and if there is, hopefully he gets uh, teed up and Villanova makes two free throws from it. Would be cool. So glad he's back, but Villanova should take care of business here. Ken Palm's predicting a 98% chance for a Villanova win. Like, I know we just said we, we're not going to take opponents lately, but I, I think – Numbers never have, lie. Numbers never lie. They shouldn't have that much of a problem here. I mean, I know it's in – I guess it's technically in Hartford's backyard, right? Because it's Mulligan Suns, Connecticut. Yeah, so, it's not too far. It's like a half hour away. Right. So Villanova should win this comfortably. But the only one concerning thing I would say is Hartford's pretty good at locking down the three-point line. Last year, I mean, last year, last game against UConn, they held them to 5 of 19 from deep. And I know UConn's not the best three-point shooting team, but still pretty bad. And then overall last year, teams shot at a 27% clip against them from beyond the arc. So they, they there's something there. There's something there. I, I believe it's, it is a system thing, and I also believe it's a little bit of a luck thing. 
And, but, and might be the competition because, as you mentioned, they haven't really, they don't really play and, well. <laughs> and it also might be the competition. You're a hundred percent right about that. But the UConn percentage makes me believe maybe I know it's very, very small sample size, but maybe maybe there is a little bit to that. So I think Villanova wins this one. Let's call it a get-right game, and we should move on from there and get ready for Texas this weekend. Eugene, what say you? Yeah, I think that this will be a nice game where we can hopefully see an extended bench just because of the nature of the opponent. Um, I think that this will definitely be a get-right game. Hartford was one of the worst-performing teams offensively last year, but that three-point defense was solid. Can't take that away from them. But we'll see how that is when they play a quote-unquote real team. Hopefully. I, I hope so. Eugene. You ever been to Hartford? Uh, I've driven through there. Yeah, I don't, I don't really don't really recommend it. Probably one of my <laughs> lesser favorite Connecticut cities. I don't know. It's pretty much Stanford is all you need in Mohegan Sun. <laughs> didn't you Didn't you cover games there though, or am I? Yeah, I, yeah. So I was there for the NCAA tournament when they played at the XL Center, which I did not realize was a dump until I went there. <laughs> Expected more from UConn. Expected more. But, um, yeah, no, I was there in the city. And not just that, I, I actually dated someone who went to Hartford, but she transferred out and played soccer at Rosemont. So, oh. so oh, she yeah. knew it was not great. I was just – I visited her one time freshman year, and I was just like, yeah, this uh, – like, I get your plan here, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is it a city campus, or is it more of a uh... – Show spread out. I don't know. We could have, like, Chris Lane, the resident. Oh, also Mike Jacobs is also from Connecticut. We could have those guys break it down one day. But not – I was, like, I had this, like, vision of Hartford, and I do like Stanford, but Hartford was just like, yeah, okay. No, <laughs> yeah, not, not, not feeling the vibes here. Not feeling the vibes. But, anyways, this game, once again, tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tip-off on ESPN2, so don't look for it on Fox Sports 1. We're still on ESPN. Upgraded, though, from ESPN2, which is nice, and ESPN News, which is nice. All right, well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop up in the mailbags, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod, or you can tweet myself. Maybe not so much Chris, because he's not that active on Twitter. You can also slide in the DMs, however way you want to get your question in. We have a pretty good mail system, so it'll find its way over to us. Chris, are you ready? Yeah, let's let's do it. First question is from Brendan Riley. Shout out to Brendan, by the way. He came back from the dead, you know, came back from hibernation. You know, <laughs> I know he's been a little busy with a new job and a new kid. Shout out to Brendan. But he dropped his Monday musings yesterday, and I highly recommend checking that out. Nice little dive into a lot of the different things we talked about today, plus some nice graphs. Anytime you have graphs and nice pictures, oh, you definitely got to give it a check. But it was a nice – column hopefully we'll see more of that every week hopefully catch more of that next monday but his question is you can bring back one player with a remaining eligibility back to play on this year's team who are you taking the five options are sadiq bay mikhail bridges jalen brunson dante DiVincenzo, and omaris bellman chris of the five who are you taking uh eugene i, I let's both say our answer at the same time because I, th- I think we're in agreement here if if i can telepathically predict how you're feeling about this. I, I think we're both in agreement. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three. Okay. And then you're going to just going to say it. No, th- count down from three, right? Count down from oh, three. Yeah. Three, two, three, yeah. two, one. Uh, three, two, one. Okay. Oh. Three, two, one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Three, two, one. Henry Lawrence. Melvin. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, I wasn't thinking Omari. I was thinking, uh, honestly, to answer the question seriously, uh, Mikhail Bridges. Yeah, all right. So, so to that, I, in a vacuum, I would probably pick Mikhail, but I think the Virginia Tech game just has me so on edge. I'm just like, we need a rim protector. We need toughness. <laughs> we need an outside shooter, who can, a big guy who can stretch the floor, help JRE, spell some minutes. We have no other big guys. You know, we could relegate Jermaine Samuels to sixth man or Caleb Daniels to sixth man or whoever. And, yeah, that would be, that would be my guy. But, like, I, I would love – it would probably be Mikhail if we're just picking off just, like, not – focusing on needs and whatever, but I would say probably Amari's Belvin too. 
Like, I was just sitting there thinking, like, there were, like, a few times where Colin Gillespie was running, hustling, trying to get a guy from behind. Obviously, he just had to let him go because it was a fast-break dunk, and you're, he's not trying to end up on Sports Center for the wrong reasons. But I'm sitting there thinking, that was Mikhail Bridges. Condor flying in, <laughs> pin that ball against the backboard, just like he did in the Gonzaga game. Oh, my God. Virginia Tech, they would just go home after that. They would be like, a 12-point comeback? You guys can just yeah. pile on the points, please. Yeah, for sure. Pterodactyl flying through half court. This is my game type thing, yeah. But just looking at it, I mean, the guy makes defense look fun. He's also, you know, he became a scorer towards the end of his career. And and granted, this is, I would like the Mikael Bridges that we know and love from Villanova. Not the weird one. Well, I shouldn't (laughs) say weird. Still a great defender with the Phoenix Suns, but they they added that weird hitch to his shot release. I don't know what that is, but I don't like that. Yeah, the non-tainted Mikael Bridges version. The the pure, the pure Mikael Bridges. The, yeah, the 2018 Big East tournament and NCAA tournament, Mikael Bridges, is who I would want. But yeah, it would be between those two. I, I'd probably go Bridges, but I, I think maybe Omari would probably be best as well. I, I can't, I can't think, I can't think of one. So, one or the other. But you're, you're had, you're gung ho on Bridges. Yeah, I'm gung ho on Bridges. Why, why not Dante, Eugene? Oh, Dante's athletic and all, but you know, come on, can you, what, what can you share to that massive wingspan? True. True. You can have athleticism and the wingspan. Fair, fair point. How much does this speak to the program that we're thinking Bridges or Amari Spellman over National Player of the Year, Jalen Brunson? See, that's also I also thought about that, but then it's like we already have too many guards on this team. <laughs> right, right, right. When, yeah, when you factor in whole roster, I think it would be a bit. Unless, a bit does that mean we get to see a five-guard lineup? <laughs> As uh, cool as that would be, don't think it's that sustainable. But I, I would be for it. Brunson plays like he's 6'11". <laughs> That's true. Back him down, fade away in the post. I miss those days. The only reason I'm not taking Shadiq Bay is because we saw that last year. And it's not like that That wasn't bad. It's just I want to see something different, you know, a little outside the box. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would love Shadiq Bay. Oh, well, well like we said, if, if Shadiq Bay was still on the team or he stayed, which – you know, great for us as fans, not great for his wallet. No. It would be, no. be awesome. Pencil is in number one or preseason number one. Next question is from Rye, a.k.a. Summer Loops. I'm sure you all touch upon this during the pod, but Virginia Tech shot lights out from three in the second half. Do you chuck that more up to Villanova defensive lapses or Tech just being that good? As Chris brought up before, the shooting percentages did not match up. You know, it's not what we've characteristically seen from them in the past. Mm-mm. No, not at all. And, you know, players improve over the years, but when the guy, when one guy shoots 11% and one guy shoots uh, 0%, it's a little, it's a little weird, a little bit. So I, I think it was just a, one of those performances where it's just like, what are you going to do at that point? Yeah, jury's still out on tech, but I, I chalk it up more to Villanova defensive lapses. Just You just look at that eight minutes, that final eight and a half minutes, eight minutes. You know, Coleswater hits the three to put us up 12. Then Nova just gives up back-to-back threes right after that off missed assignments. Not good. Not good. Yeah. And then a couple more threes during that comeback stretch where it's either a late closeout, hand down. You're going to leave them open. They're going to take it, and they definitely cast out from there. Chalk it up to defensive lapses, possibly fatigue if you want to go that route. But all in all, I would say it was just more of blown over defensive last year. But credit to Virginia Tech. They, they did play very well, especially down the stretch. And this okay. will kind of tie into the next question. But this one is from Dan Gibson. Was JRE tired last game? Seems to me that the spacing and passing had not been ideal. Your thoughts? I think everybody was tired. I mean, <laughs> you know, short rotation, six men played, what was it, 35 minutes each in that last game on top of, getting a bulk on the minutes in the first two from the 2K Classic. Mm-hmm. I'd say JRE was tired, but I was just more surprised that they just couldn't out-rebound a team that, there was, that was smaller than them. When I saw the size disparity, I thought, wow, JRE's going to feast. At the same time, it looked like Virginia Tech was ready to not let him feast again. 
I know you wanted more ball movement, maybe. Maybe it was just, you know, a little too much dribbling around, Chris, but Ooh. none of that. You know, it could have all been better. None of, none of the last eight minutes was ideal of that game. No, not at all. Uh, to JRE's tiredness, I don't know if it – I guess – I guess they had to have been tired. And like, as we said earlier, like Virginia tech also played recently. So like, I'm not really feeding into that theory, but you know, I, I think it was just Virginia tech's game plan that just made him look tired or more tired than what he was. I, I, I don't know if a fully rested JRE really does much the way they kind of bodied him up and had him planned out defensively. I thought it was just a great performance by Virginia tech and a great scheme. So yeah, I thought we needed to get a little bit more creative on offense. I think Colin, you know, as great as he played, could have deferred a little bit more to Caleb Daniels. Like, that would have been nice to get him involved a little bit more. Justin Moore didn't have the best game, but I would have liked to have seen him a little bit more involved as well. You had to get a little bit more creative with Jerry kind of out of the picture. So, so yeah, I, I think it was just a little bit lackadaisical offense and just bad Bad game all around. Bad last eight minutes, like you said. Six-man rotation. I, I get it. We got a couple guys out on injuries. Could have used, you know, just a little bit, you know, a little more minutes for resting. You know, just, just throw Eric <laughs> Dixon a couple more. It's not going to hurt. Give yeah. give Colin Gillespie a little more sips of Gatorade. Like, could have done that. We could have budgeted that in. No reason to have our guys push themselves for 35 minutes for a third straight game. Yeah. You're, you're right. But they didn't. And but they didn't. No. And it's funny, too, because we, we, we mentioned it the first episode with Chris Lane. We're like, eh, you know, maybe they'll actually use, like, J. Ray will actually, you know, use his bench and deep rotation and kind of let these guys roll out. And Chris Lane just, like, shut it down. He's like, nah, he's going he's gonna to still be the same old J. And uh, lo and behold, it took three games and we're already aggravated. Look, I want to say aggravated, but I will say – it's all Temple's fault. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the pod. You can do so at View Hoops. You can also look for us at State of the Nova Nation. Subscribe free and follow us on iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podbean, Spotify. Check back at viewhoops.com. Check back and check often. We are just pumping out the content the season is moving along like i said before check out brendan's column monday musings we've got a preview of the hartford game coming up some last minute reading before we tip off at five and always be sure to follow view hoops on social media you can do so at view hoops that's good for twitter and instagram like our page on facebook and you can follow me eugene repay at erepay5 I'm Chris Tanziel. I got nothing. Hope everyone had a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Nova Nation, hopefully we can get a dub tonight, beat those Hawks, get back on the winning track, and then hopefully have some good news to talk about on Thursday before we preview and head over to Texas. <laughs>